for those of you who have your Bibles, uh, we're not using the lectionary this evening, we're just going slightly back to Ephesians. So our first one is Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24, and we're reading from the message. The old way has to go. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to all sorts of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you paid careful attention to him. You have been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old life has to go. It's rotten through and through, so get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a renewed life that from the inside, working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. A second reading is Matthew, verses 16 to 20, the Great Commission. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorised and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in his way of life, marking them with baptism in the threefold name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to welcome Anna, who's bringing a message this evening. I just want to apologise to those here from Broadwater Road in case you came somewhere different this week hoping to have a different speaker. Sorry. (laughs) The reason that I've gone back to Ephesians a little bit is because in the lectionary readings, it kind of goes all the way around this passage and leaves it out. And I think taking this middle bit along with everything that... um, Jock, you've been using Ephesians, have you not? Yes. Um, Put it all together with the middle passage and put it in the context of evangelism and it all kind of sits really nicely together. So that's why I just wanted to take us back a little bit tonight. So that introduces our topic of evangelism, which sometimes gets a bit of a rap of being a bit of a swear word in some church circles. So I've got a little video to play for you guys that is from the comedy duo, the um, the skit guys, that kind of bust open some of the stereotypes of evangelism. I'm not judging you if that's your chosen forms of evangelism, go for broke. Uh, But tonight, we want to look at the fact that um, the most effective form, at least that I've noticed, and I'm sure others have as well, of evangelism is the kind that we don't even realise that we're doing. We live in, I'm sure some of you have heard this term, a postmodern world where they don't believe that there's one ultimate truth. So if you were to stand on a street corner and try and tell everybody, Jesus is the truth, I'm right, you're wrong, you're probably not going to achieve anything except make everyone mad at you. So in the reading this morning, uh, tonight of Matthew, it says, Go out and train everyone you meet. Instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. Now, that's a pretty big call. Train everyone you meet in all I have commanded you. 
So how do we even begin to do that? And this is where I think this particular part of the Ephesians reading um, fits in. I think it instructs us on how exactly to do this. And the wording in the Message Bible that I chose tonight, it says, Take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and work in itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. So in my experience, when we talk about this topic of Christ-like character, we are usually in a church talking about our insecurities and our need for hope and how, you know, if we're down on ourselves, remind ourselves that we are made in Christ's image and he is an amazing God and he has a plan for us and we're capable of everything. Uh, Tonight I'm going to take a bit more of a tough love approach and I think we're made in the image of God and especially in terms of evangelism, we have a responsibility to step up, claim who we are in Christ and actually start acting like we're made in the image of Christ. And, um, you know, the Ephesians readings that I'm sure you've heard of in the last couple of weeks, they talk of some of the ways that we can do that in terms of behaviour and and different ways that that can play out. But tonight I want to talk about the core of who we are, which is our character and the way that we live out Christ's identity through who we are. So I want you to just think for a minute about the type of person you are when you're under pressure or frustrated by something. Is that person an example of God's love, grace and compassion? Not putting any assumptions on this, maybe the answer is yes and that's totally fine. So if you met someone new at church tonight, and I'm sure you would all be lovely and friendly to them, as I hope everyone would be, and tomorrow you stopped at traffic lights and they rear-end you because they were texting while they were driving, how would you react? Would you be able to react in a Christ-like way? These are the moments that count. These are the moments when you'll have a profound effect on someone's life and you only have a split second to decide if it's going to be a detrimental or an eternal effect. It's your opportunity for evangelism right there. And that's not where you turn around and say to them, do you know God died for you? Jesus died for your sins? That's when you show them the gospel through the way that you react. Being Christ-like, though, isn't just a reaction to circumstances. And I'm sure we could list heaps of Christ-like attributes and start going into things like fruits of the Spirit and that kind of thing, but um, I'm just going to briefly go through some of the key ones that I'm sure would have been covered in the last few weeks, but we'll just talk about them briefly. And... Um, just to, to hear them again so that we kind of are in a context of what we're talking about. Faith. And the Bible verse, of course, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. Faith in Christ means that you trust and are confident that Christ loves you. Faith leads to action, including repentance and obedience. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you trust the Lord enough to follow his commands, even when you don't completely understand the reason for them. You accomplish what the Lord wants you to accomplish. You help bring bring about good in your own life and the lives of others. Hope. Hope is an abiding trust that the Lord will fulfill his promises to you. It's manifest in confidence, optimism, enthusiasm and patient perseverance. It's believing and expecting that something will occur. When you have hope, You work through trials and difficulties with the confidence and assurance that all things will work together for your good. Hope helps you conquer discouragement. Love. 
we all know the great commandment to love the Lord your God and then the second to love your neighbour as yourself. And I don't want to go too much into love. And Those with siblings will know sometimes the greatest display of love is not doing something to someone that you really, really want to. Integrity. Integrity is who you are when nobody's looking. What you choose to think and do when you're alone and believe no one is watching is a strong measure of your integrity. It means doing the right thing even though the outcome may not benefit you or you might not get the credit. Integrity often means rising above the situation and acting in a virtuous way when sometimes you'd rather not. The saying that we often use is being the bigger person. Patience. Patience is a hard one for me to talk about because when people used to say patience is a virtue, I used to reply, I've got enough other virtues. I don't need patience. Oh, really, it'd be greedy if I had them all. So I, I feel like a hypocrite talking about it. But anyway, patience is a capacity to endure delay, trouble, opposition or suffering without becoming angry, frustrated or anxious. It's the ability to do God's will and accept God's timing. When you're patient, you hold up under pressure and you're able to face adversity calmly and hopefully. Humility. Humility is often confused with self-degradation. There's a quote that I found helped me understand humility, and that's, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. To give the Lord the honour for what is accomplished. Sometimes it's helpful to understand humility as the opposite of pride. And obedience. Obedience is an act of faith. It's putting God's agenda before your own. In order to obey, we must be in constant communication with Christ. We can't obey if we don't know what we're being asked to do. We must surrender our plans, our ideas, our lives, and commit to walking the life God has in store for us, even when we don't always like what we're being asked to do. We could keep going, and I know you've heard a lot about it over the last few weeks, so that's just to reiterate some of what the Christ-like character that I'm referring to. Put that in the context of what you have heard over the last few weeks with the behaviours and the expectations um, that we're called to be as Christians. These traits aren't optional for us as Christians. They're not there just in case we feel like it. If we've got some spare time on a Tuesday afternoon, thought we might try and work on our obedience or our patience. When we were made in Christ's image, this is what we were made to be like. This is who we as Christians are required to step up and be for our sake and for the sake of the kingdom of God and those who are yet to enter it. The way to ensure you act in a Christ-like way is to practice so that it becomes your natural response. It's not just good enough to be Christ-like when the spotlight's on you. We can all do that. We all know when we're being watched how we're supposed to act when the time is right. It's who you are even when you think it doesn't count that matters most. This doesn't mean being a pushover by any means. There seems to be an assumption both inside the church and particularly outside the church that Christians always have to be nice. Not true. We always have to be good, but we don't always have to be nice. These two are often confused. You don't have to let people walk all over you. But when you stand up to them, do it in a gracious way rather than a nasty way. Make sure the way that you handle these situations is done from a position of love and not from a position of anger or retaliation. Sometimes being Christ-like actually means being the person who's brave enough to rock the boat when nobody else is, particularly in areas of injustice. 
These are the times you don't know who's watching or who's relying on you to step up and do what's right. In doing so, you're inadvertently evangelising to those around you. There's a quote that I'm sure you've all heard before that goes, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Obviously, there's a need for people to know that you're a Christian. And as much as we laughed about the things in that video, there is a place for some of the things that they were talking about in a measured way. You need to give God the credit for who you are. People need to know that the love you're showing them is because Christ first loved us. This is where the rubber hits the road of being a Christian. We can't do this on our own strength. We're fallen, broken people, and if we try to evangelise through our own means by preaching the word on the street corner, we'll fail no matter how loud we are. We're made in the image of Christ. It is through Christ that we're able to discover who we are made to be. It is with God's help that we'll be able to respond and behave in a Christ-like way. So having a bumper sticker on your car and letting people know that who you work with that you're a Christian absolutely has its place. We need to let the world know that we're Christians and this is who we are. We also have a responsibility to ensure we're upholding Christ's name when we're proclaiming it. So we're all evangelists, whether we like it or not. However you feel when you hear that word, it's not an option. We are evangelists. Our challenge is to decide how effective we want to be as an evangelist. We're going to help bring people to the kingdom of God by stepping up and acting like we're made in the image of God who loves them. Or we can just go on as we are, trying our best, and we are always going to fall short. We know that we are, and that's why God's there to help us. But know that people are watching, and it's often this that's going to bring them to Christ, even when you don't suspect that they're watching. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that we are made in your image, and we know that so often we fall short of being who you made us to be and proclaiming that you are our Lord and giving you the credit that you deserve for all that we are and all that we've achieved. We just ask that you'll be with us as we go out into our lives, that you'll help us to be a living example of you to these people who may not know you and to a world that desperately needs you. These things we ask in your name. Amen.